Our text this morning comes from Matthew chapter 22, as we are continuing together in our study of the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, Matthew 22, in this context, Jesus is being um, confronted by various religious groups. Um, They present to him three challenges, three rhetorical tests. And this text this morning is um, the account of the third of those three challenges or tests that were put to our Lord by various uh, groups. So they actually, uh, the, the record of this begins back in verse 15. Our text will begin in verse 34. The primary motivation that was behind these challenges was to try to entrap the Lord, it says in our text. That is, they came to ask him these questions out of malice, according to verse 18. Uh, The attempt seems to be to either hurt his popularity with the crowds who were following him or to, on the other hand, get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. The first of these was a political trap. The second was a theological test. And the third is a kind of ethical challenge. And so our text begins in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And they came to be really the experts in the biblical text and the kind of religious experts on the Old Testament. Sometimes they were called lawyers, as Matthew refers to them here. And, of course, the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch, was often referred to as the law the law of God or the law of Moses. And so their question has to do with the law and specifically with commandments of which, of course, the Pharisees were so enamored. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment in all of the Old Testament? Out of all of the things that God has told us to do, What is first? And of course, that question is grounded in an assumption, an assumption which Christ will affirm, actually, that there are some commands which are more foundational than others. In fact, in the next chapter, chapter 23, he's going to go on and talk about the weightier matters of the law. Of course, this is not to say that some of the commandments from God are unimportant. If it's in 
the Bible, if it is from God, then it is important. Jesus said himself back in chapter 5, verse 18, not not an iota, not a little dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of God. So this is not to say that any commandments are unimportant. Perhaps part of the um, the way that this became a test or a challenge or a, a trap was that the Pharisees were intending to try to get Christ to isolate one commandment and then to present him as someone who's belittling some of the other commandments. Nevertheless, it is true that some of the commandments are greater in terms of their their implications, in terms of their ramifications, their entailments. Within the law, of course, there are many commands. Many of us have been reading through the Old Testament. Um, We read through the Pentateuch earlier this year. We saw many of the commands of God concerning ritual purity and impurity. We saw commands about the temple, about the sacrifices, about holy days. We saw uh, laws and commandments about legal and social justice. We saw commandments about marriage and family and about the worship of God. The question that they put to Jesus is, Jesus, out of all of these 613 commandments, which would you say is the greatest? Which is first? And our Lord identifies something at the heart of the Shema, that passage we read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it says, and, and this is what Jesus gives as the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus says, this is the great and first commandment. And then he hastens to add, and a second is like it. And I think he means it's like the first in terms of its nature as being foundational. And then he quotes Leviticus chapter 18, verse 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two, Jesus highlights. And what I want to do this morning is to talk about three things about these two commandments. To help you to notice three things about them. And the first is this. I want you to consider the reasoning behind his choice of these two commandments. Out of all the commands of God, and there are some really important commandments Out of all of those commandments, why does he settle on these? Some people say that Christ came to do away with the law, to replace laws and commandments with the principle of love. 
that the Old Testament was all about laws, that the New Testament is just about loving people. And there are several problems with that line of thinking. The first is that the obligation to love God and to love one another is, in fact, a commandment. The second is that both of these commandments are drawn from the Old Testament. So this is nothing new that we are to love God and to love one another. We're not dividing the scriptures up into pieces that belong to us and and don't. And and then thirdly, Jesus says back in chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. And so when Jesus was with his disciples um, and John records in John chapter 13 and verse uh, 34, when Jesus said to them, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, what's new is not the idea of, of love as being a responsibility for his followers, but rather the supreme example that they were about to see of what love looked like. This, you love one another to this degree, to this level. Here is the way you love one another. And then he says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. This is why John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Beloved, I am writing no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And of course, Jesus is quoting from the very beginning here, from the Pentateuch. John says, I'm writing an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him. The thing that's that's new about this commandment to love one another is the 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 way that it is manifestly true in the person of Christ. It's true in him and in union with Christ, it's true in you as well. The commandment, he goes on to say in verse 10, is to love your brother. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So Jesus' reasoning then about why he chooses these two commandments, his, his reasoning is not, hey, listen, I've come to replace all of the commands with the idea that you should just love each other. They'll replace the law of God with the law of love. That's not Jesus' reasoning. Here is Jesus' reasoning for selecting these two commandments. Verse number 40, he says, on these two commandments, what? depend or hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus says that he chose these commandments, or he implies that he chose these commandments because they are what you might call structural commandments. That is that they can bear the weight of all of the other commandments, All of the weight of those other laws can rest on these two. Or to say it another way, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, earlier in the book, he said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do also for them. And then he said, for this is the law and the prophets. 
In terms of our relationships with one another, he says, this, that's it. That's what the, the whole of the law and the prophets were expounding upon. Or to say it another way, as Paul does in Romans chapter 13, verse number 9, these commandments, and, and he highlights several of the commandments that come from the second table of the law, that, that those commandments that have to do with our relationships with other people. And after highlighting several of them, he says they are summed up. All of those commandments are summed up in this one commandment, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, all of the others are are applications of this one commandment. They're all specific instances of what it actually looks like in concrete terms to obey this other one, that is, love your neighbor as yourself. So then he says in verse 10 that not only does this commandment sum up all of the other commandments, but he says that the commandment to love fulfills all of those other commandments because love doesn't do any wrong to his neighbor. You start identifying specific ways that you can wrong your neighbor. And you have to start making a list, right? And then the longer you let people go on, the more you find that our depravity is creative enough that you're going to have to make more laws and more laws and more laws, telling them not to do this and not to do this, and this is how they should treat one another. All of those laws are, are fulfilled if you keep this one law, and that is the law of love. Keeping that one entails keeping all of the rest. For these reasons, Jesus chose these two as the first and great commandment and the second that is like it in a kind of foundational, structural way. You see, having, having law without having love is just bear conformity. And this is, God never intended for us to live that way. The prophets over and over again chastise the people of Israel, saying, God doesn't want your, your mere sacrifices. He, just, he doesn't need your animals to be burned up to him. What God really wants is not external conformity and obedience, but to love him with all your heart, to worship him, to fear him, to serve him from your whole heart. At the same time, love, just saying love each other without any law, putting that love into concrete application, love without law can become, in a sinful human mind, anything that you want it to be. Uh, You can do pretty much anything in the name of love. This is why um, I I love the illustration by the English theologian Charles Bridges, who, who lived a couple hundred years ago. He said, love and law are like um, a watch, an old kind of wind-up watch. I don't know if anybody even has those anymore with all of our Fitbits and our smartwatches and our 
our cell phones and everything, but you know, the old kind that has the spring inside of it. And you literally have to wind that spring up and put tension on that spring every couple of days or so. And, and then in, in, the, in also inside that watch are, are gears and a, and a regulator. And the, the, that regulator um, works to, to let that tension of that spring loose in very precise increments so that each second is measured out in just the right way so that your watch stays on time. And he said, you, you wind up that watch and love is like the spring in that watch. And the law is like the regulator, those gears that measure out the seconds. And without love, the law has no power. It has no energy. It has no impetus. But without law, love has nothing to govern it or to direct it or to manifest it in any way that is, is real and true and legitimate. So our Lord is not pitting these against each other. He is saying, this is the way that um, you fulfill all of the commandments of God by, by fulfilling these two great ones. I want you to notice, secondly, the relationship between these two commandments, the, the, the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. What about the relationship between them? Our Lord was quick to, to put them together here. And I want you to know, firstly, that you can't really separate these two. One entails the other. If you love God, well, man is created in the what? In the image of God. And if you love God, then you're going to love the man who is in his image. And especially that will be true for your love for those in whom the image of God is being restored. That is, those people who are being conformed to be like the one who was the image of God. Those people, especially, there will be a great love for, a kinship with, a desire to for their good. You cannot separate these two. It's, it's, it's impossible to say, I love God and, and hate your neighbor. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a, a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Or to say it in the words of James, James chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, I have faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? See, there is no real love for God without love for those whom God loves. 
we're fooling ourselves. We're caught up in sentimentality, blinded by our own self-interests. But to know God is to know love, for God is love. There is no place for Christian hermits to isolate themselves from their neighbor, and especially from the people of God. In fact, isn't it true that your love for God grows as you share it with those whom he loves? You can't separate these two great commandments. But at the same time, I think they must be kept in their proper order, in their proper priority. Jesus says it this way, there is the great and first commandment, and then there is a second that is like it. The great and first commandment tells me what the second commandment looks like. It helps to define what it means to live out the second commandment. Love, faith in, fear of, commitment to the one true God of the universe is the only thing that gives proper shape to my loving of others. Because there are plenty of people out there who will say, you know, hey, if you just if you really loved me, then you would just accept and affirm what I want to do. That's love. You don't love me. You say you love people, but you don't love people. And this is is not the way that the Bible presents love for man. Love for man is always secondarily uh it's always secondary to love for God. It's always defined and bounded by the love that we have for God. True love for others cannot ignore their Godward orientation. So it is no love for others to just let them walk contrary to God. You have to keep these in their proper order. God is ultimate. Man is a reflection of the image of God. And that love that we have for man is defined by our love for our God. This is the relationship between these two commands. And I want you to see, thirdly, the stunning scope of these two commandments. Notice the way it is put. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. In other words, the commandment that is greatest in all the world is this, that you must love God with every aspect of your being, with your mind, with your desires, with your hope, with your thinking, with your plans, with your emotions. He is to be your very life and breath. Love him with your heart, soul, mind, strength, every part of you. 
and not only every part of you, but with all of every part of you, with the totality of every aspect of your being, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, to be completely and totally in love with God, to be consumed with his ultimate worth and beauty and desirability. This is the great commandment, to be all consumed with all of you, with the greatness and the wonder of your God. The scope of that commandment is astonishing. And the same is true with the second. You shall love your neighbor. Stop. (laughs) You shall love your neighbor. Well, that one's hard enough sometimes. But he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As if you, I, I have to tear the skin off my body and, and wrap it around another person so that I feel that I am that person. So that all the longings that I have for my own safety and my own health and success and happiness, I must feel for that person as though he were me. The scope of these commandments is, to me, frankly, overwhelming. The response of Jesus' hearers isn't really recorded by Matthew. He just sort of ends the text there. But Mark records that the lawyer who had voiced the question originally on behalf of the Pharisees, he he acknowledged Jesus' answer that, Love for God, um, love was greater than mere outward conformity and obedience, the sacrifices. And Jesus turned to him and said, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. Um, Others of the Pharisees were silenced by his response, but were unmoved in their faith. They persisted in their unbelief and continued to plot his downfall. The crowds who heard Jesus were astonished, and no doubt some of them believed, though later some of them were stirred up by the religious leaders to go along with the crucifixion of our Lord. But what should our response be to Jesus' statement about the greatest commandments? Well, I think in the first place, it should cause us to see our failures, our self-centeredness, and our lack of love. I mean, who, who of you measures up to the stunning scope of these commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor like yourself. Which of us desires God more than anything else in the universe? Which of us is just as interested in our neighbor's well-being as in our own? Friends, I I listen to commandments like this, 
And my heart cries out, who is sufficient for these things? All I see when I first begin to think deeply about these commandments is how far short I have fallen from them. How often have I seen, have you seen, that what really comes out of you is a love for self, concern about your own things that eclipses all others. The uh, hymnist put it this way, Ah, mine iniquity crimson hath been, infinite, infinite sin upon sin, sin of not loving thee, sin of not trusting thee, infinite sin, infinite sin. And that is the, really the first function of the law. It shows us our sinfulness, and oh, it does. I think secondly, it should cause us to look to the one who did love the Lord, his God, with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength, who did love his neighbor as himself and laid down his life for us. That one who willingly gave up his life out of love for his father and in self-sacrifice for all those who would believe on him. This is good news. This is the gospel that points us to the fact that there is somebody out there who kept the great and first commandment and who obeyed that second commandment that is like unto it. You, you imagine the people who heard Jesus, you know, say, these are the two great commandments, who had also heard him say things like, you must be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. And you look around and say, who is there who does this? And there is one, and that's the good news. That is the gospel. The law and the gospel work together so beautifully to to do God's good and gracious saving work in the lives of those who, who hear them with ears to hear. The law, what does the law say? The law says, do this and you will live. You shall therefore keep the statute, my statutes and rules, and if a person does them, he shall live by them. So says the Pentateuch. In, in Luke chapter 10, there was another lawyer, not the same account, I think, but a different situation where another lawyer came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And remember what Jesus' answer was? Well, what do you read in the law of God? What do you read in the scriptures? And what is the law? And of course, this man was a good listener. No doubt he had heard Jesus, maybe even in this very interaction with this other lawyer friend of his, um, or perhaps on another occasion, or had heard secondhand. He knew what the answer should be, and he gave this answer to, to Jesus' question. What does the law say? And he says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus turned to him and he said, okay, go do it. And if you do it, you will live. And that's true, of course, but everyone who begins to examine his heart as to whether he's done it comes to fall under the condemnation of the law. And this man did. He knew that he hadn't loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He hadn't loved his neighbor like himself. And so the Bible says he desired to justify himself and tried to limit the concept of who was his neighbor that he had to treat well. You see, well, the law comes in. When you, when you think about the, any law, and, and especially these two, all-encompassing laws, what you find is that the law condemns you. Do this and live, but I haven't done it, and I deserve to die. Listen, but then the gospel comes in at that very moment where you're crushed under the law. The gospel comes in, and the gospel says not do, but done. It is finished. The gospel says that there is one who did it. There is one who obeyed, and he obeyed in the place of and on behalf of all of those who are his, all who would believe in him, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord. Galatians chapter 3 says it this way, verse 12, the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them, but Christ, it says, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the gospel. Or to say it in the words of Colossians 2, verse 14, Christ has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The law says do and live and brings us under condemnation. The gospel says it's done, and whoever believes in him who did will have everlasting life. For he took upon himself the curse for all of our disobedience and lived out a perfect, personal, perpetual obedience to these two great laws and every commandment of God on our behalf. Oh, put your hope and trust in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You'll never be good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But there is one who, who was and will be for you. Christ fulfilled the law, and he bore our curse for not fulfilling the law. And Romans chapter 7, the passage that we looked at last week tells us that we are bound to the law until we are united with Christ in death and burial and resurrection and now as a new person are united to Christ, no longer united to the law, out from under the bonds of the law, the bonds of matrimony to the law, so to speak, and now related to Jesus Christ, dead to the law, married to Christ, not died to the law's moral obligations, for we all must continue to do what God wants us to do, but out from under the law in terms of our relationship with God. This is the glory of the new covenant 
that we are bound to Jesus who kept the law on our behalf. And I would admonish you to cry out to the Lord today, Lord, I have not loved you with all my heart. I have not loved my neighbor. I have disobeyed you in so many ways. And my only hope is Christ, the one who obeyed. And I pray that you would save me in him and because of him. And then and only then, we sing the words of that hymn, No, not despairingly come I to thee. No, not distrustingly bend I the knee. Sin has gone over me, yet is this still my plea. Jesus hath died. Jesus hath died. Faithful and just thou art, forgiving all. Loving and kind thou art when poor ones call. Lord, let thy cleansing blood, blood of the Lamb of God, pass o'er my soul, pass o'er my soul. Then all is peace and light, this soul within. Thus shall I walk with thee, the loved unseen, leaning on thee, my God, Guided along the road, nothing between, nothing between. These commandments should cause us to look to the one, to look for the one who actually obeyed them and to put all our hope and trust in him. And I think it ought to do a third thing particularly for us as believing people, as those who are in Christ, united to him. And that is, it ought to cause us to seek to follow Christ in his love and to pray that his perfect love would be worked out in us and through us. This is, this is the use of, of the law, the commandments that continues to guide and and direct us as Christians into the way that um, we ought to live. So Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8, and he really, he brings together the the gospel of of freedom in Christ and the, the idea that Christians now actually begin to live out the law of God through the Spirit. He says, verse 3, God has done... God has done, that's the gospel, what the law weakened by our flesh, it could not do. He did it by sending his own son in likeness of flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is the gospel. Christ has condemned sin by becoming a sin sacrifice on the behalf of his people. But then he says he did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law. See, the law, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good and righteous and holy, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in actually in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What happens is this, that spirit-filled people, people who are walking in the spirit, they grow in love. 
because the fruit of the Spirit is, fill in the first blank, right? Love. Love for God. Love for Christ. Love for those who are made in his image. Love for his people. Look at these two commands, and you say to yourself, who is sufficient for these things? And then the answer comes, our sufficiency is from God. He is sufficient, and it is for us as believers to believe that he is sufficient, to wait on him, to be sufficient for our growth in, in, in true wholehearted love for him, that we would pray that that would be the case, that we would go out and act like it and love the Lord our God and love our neighbors. You say this morning, God, forgive my half-heartedness. Cleanse me from double-mindedness and finish the good work in me by your spirit that you have begun in the death of Christ. May the Lord make us to increase and abound in love. Let's pray. Lord, we confess the ugliest thing that could possibly be said about us. And that is in our old, corrupt, broken, sinful, rebellious nature, we do not love you. We did not love you. There was one, we thank God, we thank you, one of us who did love you, one who is not ashamed to be called our brother. And it is in his name we hope and trust and pray. And we ask you earnestly that his spirit would work in us and through us to increase our vision of you. We may see you as you truly are so that we would love you with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. That we would love our neighbor. We love ourselves, Lord, let it be so. We pray that we may not go away from this sermon, this text, unmoved and unchanged. Lord, please let your will be done in this. We're asking you earnestly now. Cause this word to bear fruit in us for your eternal glory. Pray it in the name of our Lord Jesus.